0: Shortly after he was elected president, Abraham Lincoln decided that he wanted to have his closest rivals be part of his cabinet. This was an unusual tactic, and the infighting that ensued caused occasional headaches for everyone involved. Instead of being surrounded by supporters, Lincoln found that some of his most dogged and consistent critics were in his inner circle. Still, Lincoln felt that it was advantageous to have the best person in these jobs, regardless of their personal feelings for him. His intuition served him well, as policies that his administration championed faced fierce scrutiny in his inner circle before they were ever presented to the public. In fact, Lincoln is quoted as saying that the intense internal debate was critical to the success of the Emancipation Proclamation. Lincoln's choice to populate his cabinet with critics ensured that his ideas and proposals would be tested on their merits from different points of view. In this way, Lincoln ensured that he was not in what we would now refer to as an echo chamber. And in today's discussion, we're going to question whether or not we're all in our own echo chamber, explore how echo chambers develop, and what to do if you find yourself in one. Hello everyone, we're so glad you could join us. My name is Pete, and with me, as always, is the person who reminds me consistently to check my sources, Melissa.
1: Hello everyone, I'm very excited to talk about this topic. And I'm very eager to jump to the part where we talk about how to combat the echo chamber. <laughs> I take it that the answer is, is not to kick out the taillights.
0: I, wait, I'm sorry. Do we have an echo chamber with taillights?
1: Oh, sorry. That, that's just me. I, I often confuse the recommended survival tactics for various scenarios, like brown bears. Do you try to appear bigger, or do you try to appear dead?
0: Well, I, I'll i tell you personally, I try not to appear, appear in front of brown bears at all. Uh, I'm not sure what your weekend plans are, but I hope you won't need to use either of those things. There's a lot to cover on this topic, so what do you say we get into it?
1: Well, considering that I don't know if I'm supposed to play dead or appear larger, <laughs> I think I will... I think I will try to avoid brown bears myself this weekend. I
0: think in your case, playing dead might, might work better. I'm not sure how much I, larger you can be.
1: Yes. Well, we'll see. <laughs> so uh, I, I will ensure that I do not per, put a cart before horse like I did in the last episode and jump ahead. I am very happy to pace myself and go through this topic in a linear fashion because I do have some tasty tidbits to share.
0: Okay. Well, that's, I, I can't wait for the tasty tidbits. Let's, let's start off like we normally do, and that's that's by defining what it is that we're talking about. Okay. OK. An echo chamber is an information environment where most, if not all, of the inputs are biased in the same way, which happens to be in the way that we already think. These can be formed consciously or unconsciously and are closely related to confirmation bias.
1: And as part of the defining part of this discussion, I'd like to make the distinction between epistemic bubbles and echo chambers Mm -hmm. because these are two distinct ideas that people often blur together so in a nutshell an epistemic bubble is what happens when insiders aren't exposed to people from the opposite side You, you just don't get the information and an echo chamber is what happens when insiders come to distrust everybody on the outside
0: an epistemic bubble for example might form on one social media feed when a person gets all their news and their political arguments from facebook and all their Facebook friends share their political views. They're in an epistemic bubble. They hear arguments and evidence only from their side of the political spectrum. They're never they're never exposed to the other side's views.
1: Right, and an echo chamber leads its members to distrust everyone on the outside of the chamber. It, it's kind of like a cult, and uh, that hmm. means that an insider's trust for other insiders can grow unchecked. Like oh, okay. if, like if you're inside the wire, you got validity, but outside not so much mm-hmm. so just to paraphrase in an epistemic bubble outside voices aren't heard and in an echo chamber outside voices are discredited gotcha the other piece of that if if i could just continue on mm-hmm. is that you have to realize too that generally echo chamber members have been prepared to face contrary evidence like their whole world view has been arranged to dismiss evidence uh, that evidence at its source to distrust the standard sources.
0: Right, their, their trust has been redirected and concentrated inside the echo chamber.
1: Exactly. So if the problem is just a bubble, the solution is just exposure. Like, let's, you know, just get them more 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 views. If sure,
0: you so, so you would have to go out and find public forums that you don't usually frequent so that people have more on their veritable buffet.
1: Yes, and to break someone out of an echo chamber, well, you need to get to the root of why people are distrusting outside sources and totally on board with the people inside the echo chamber. And that is a much harder task than simply bursting a bubble.
0: See, and here I thought you said you weren't gonna jump right to the part of how to fix it.
1: Okay, touche, thank you so much. Uh, well, uh, Well, let me just say that I have a host of ways to get one's self out of an echo chamber. And I think we were just talking about what it takes to get Someone else at oh, an echo chamber. Okay. So I feel like I stay true to my word here. So
0: we're just self-helping right now.
1: Right. So are you going to use your little phrase on me a distinction without a difference?
0: No, I uh, I don't think I will. Not at all. It's all it's all good. We don't. Uh, why don't we talk about how we get into the chambers?
1: All right. So I feel like you're about to talk about social media.
0: I am actually about to talk about social media. I
1: see, I yes, see, you know me so well. Yes, I have my crystal ball here. Yes. <laughs>
0: So there are actually two schools of thought on this. Okay, Some folks believe that an uptick in the number of social media sites that, that, that has propagated uh, in the last, I don't know, 20 years or so result in increased exposure to diverse perspectives, while others maintain that an increased number of social media sites increases ideological segregation.
1: So that was uh, research done by Flaxman, Gohl, and Rao in 2016 to explore this very thing. Okay. They examined the web browsing histories of 50,000 US located users who regularly read online news. And what they found is that social networks and search engines are associated with an increase in the mean ideological distance between individuals. However, somewhat counterintuitively, these same channels also are associated with an increase in an individual's exposure to material his or her less preferred side of the political spectrum.
0: So these are indeed echo chambers that they're exploring, right? People got the info, but then they rebuff the info.
1: Yes. What's interesting is that the vast majority of online news consumption is accounted for by individuals simply visiting the home pages of their favorite, typically mainstream news outlets, Mm -hmm. which ends up tempering the impact, both positive and negative, of an increase in social media sites.
0: So in other words, it doesn't matter how many ways people are being fed, they're sticking to the to the rivers and the lakes that they're used to.
1: Yes, and I appreciate that TLC callback. <laughs> I will listen to Waterfall as soon as we finish recording. Yes, because now it's in my head. I
0: seen a rainbow yesterday. <laughs> so I came across a study as I was preparing for this episode and it is, it's relevant because it deals with something ever so recent.
1: More recent than my 2016 research, I gather.
0: Yeah, actually, uh, and 2016 is plenty recent. I mean, we've come across some from from long, long, long ago, but that's close, but mine's even closer. All right. So a study I came across involved over 1,200 German students and their opinions of vaccines. Oh, okay. The study was conducted by Kevin Winter, a senior researcher at the Social Processes Lab at the University of Tübingen. Initially, what they saw was not surprising. Those with a tendency toward conspiracy theories were more likely to be against getting vaccinated. However, what they demonstrated in the study was that those with a conspiratorial mindset were more likely to be swayed when close friends and relatives showed positive attitudes towards getting vaccinated.
1: I am not surprised by this in the slightest. I think it's the same idea about when you want to freeze ice cubes quickly, you fill the tray with super hot water because then the ice forms faster. And, and everyone's like, why are you making yeah, ice I, in I, trays? Doesn't I, I, your I, fridge do that for you?
0: You know what? I heard the same thing as a child, and I want to test that. I, I feel like we need to go back to uh, things we learned in school that might not be true, because I am, I am now dying to find out if that's actually factual. I
1: do believe it's true, and I'll tell you why. I think it's true because I see this in the change management arena. Folks who are completely entrenched in their polar opinion are often easier to move than folks resting somewhere in the middle. And I guess the idea is that they are so emotional about their position that they can just as readily be as emotional about another position. It's when you get those like, what I'm gonna call truly cerebral folks that can see like merits of both sides. You know, they're they're sort of like just in that that happy gray area. Those are the hard to win over converts. Um, But those people who are like raging on one side of that continuum, guess what? Easier to convert them. Truly.
0: Right. I, I can totally see that.
1: So now are you a believer about my ice?
0: <laughs> I, I'm still going to look up the thing about the ice because I don't believe thermodynamics applies to human opinion.
1: All right. Well, we will update you and let you know if this is a thing we learned <laughs> check, in school. Yeah, check the show notes. Yes. Yes.
0: But the takeaway here for us is that although it's it's tempting to cut people out of your life because they've gone down some conspiratorial rabbit hole, staying in contact with them can be beneficial for them. By demonstrating positive attitudes towards something, vaccines in the case of this experiment, you can sway those conspiracy-minded friends to see things differently. Excising them from your circle only guarantees that they'll fall deeper into their own echo chamber.
1: Right. You could just mute them for a moment if they're driving you nuts. Yes. So a la Dumb and Dumber, what you're telling me is that there is actually a chance to pull them out of their own little echo chamber.
0: Well, I'm not sure it's quite one in a million... But, but despite the long odds, it worked out for Lloyd, right?
1: I mean, I actually have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I've never seen this movie, shocker. But I, I, I know the social reference. Um, also, to get me off of that, <laughs> and how I don't know any movies that have ever come out in the last 20 years, uh, I don't mean to be the Debbie Downer here, but I am definitely related to people who have made quite comfortable homes in the little echo chambers. Like they even have like artwork up on the walls, like the whole nine. And I'm gonna tell you that being a good influence in their life was no match for the influence that their social media streams had on them.
0: Yeah, I I have had similar experiences and, and, and before we launch Headlongs into in the algorithms, I would like to stay on the surface of social media just for a moment longer.
1: Okay, I like how you know you think that I'm gonna talk about algorithms next. Like, how do you know? You don't know. Like, just because I talk about algorithms, like, all the time, every day, always. Like, all roads lead to algorithm for I mean, me.
0: you knew I was going to talk about social media before I did. I know you're going to talk about algorithms before you do. It's right. almost like we talk regularly and have a podcast that we co-host.
1: As if. Yes, yeah. exactly.
0: So allow me to woo you with another study I found. Morton Deutsch and Harold Gerard from NYU set out to test... What influenced us becoming entrenched in our beliefs? For the experiment, they divided up subjects into three groups and had them estimate the length of lines. One group wrote down their responses and turned them in. The second group wrote down their estimates and erased them before anybody could see them. The third group didn't ever record their answers. Then each group was given information that proved that their estimates were wrong. And what the researchers observed is that those that wrote down and submitted their answers were the least willing to change their answers, even after being presented with the evidence that they were wrong. Because the first group had made a public commitment to their estimates, they were the most rigid in sticking to those beliefs. Now I want you to think about how that applies to social media.
1: Oh, you don't have to tell me how it applies to social media. I see it all the time. I see people every day, whether or not they have a clue about something, they were like dog on bone. They're going to double down on whatever was just said, It's even, even when they know they're wrong. It's the craziest thing to me.
0: Yeah, or, or to be clear, what they just said or what they just wrote. Right. Even if you have no knowledge in that arena or on that topic, and think about how many topics arise on social media.
1: Oh, you don't have to tell me again, because yesterday's <laughs> infectious disease experts are now international relation gurus with a minor in Russian.
0: And they and they dabble in you know the psychological health of tennis players.
1: Right, and whether heckling has always been part of the sport or is a new thing. Right. Yes, exactly. I know that sitting here from my perch, it is very easy to say that hey, we just need to construct environments where we're actively seeking disconfirmation. And yes, that is a that is a real term. Okay. I borrowed it. It means uh, information that actively contradicts preconceived opinions. Uh, But turns out, this is one of the hardest things for a human brain to do. Our brains seek confirmation as a knee-jerk reaction, even after we've just formed an idea. And we will defend our instant conclusions with the same fervor as long-held religious beliefs. This is a fact, Jack. There's research on this.
0: And I think think that's a, a hard ask in the social media environment. Those, those opposing viewpoints that people would need to look at take a conscious effort to find, and the information that aligns with our beliefs is readily available. And, and I don't think that's why people are using social media.
1: No, I don't think they come to, to be like, oh, what, what truths can I find out today? Agreed. <laughs> so there's a science journalist, his name is David McRaney. Mm-hmm. He is the host of You Are Not So Smart podcast. Yes, we are plugging another podcast, it's a good one. He believes that confirmation bias, that seeking out information that conforms to the beliefs that we already have, is the reason that we are drawn to social media. Like, it's why it's like we want to go there to be part of it all, right? To find the other me's. Yeah. So he says, um, the fact that social media platforms confirm what we already believe is a reason many people use them in the first place. If the platforms didn't do that, they wouldn't be successful.
0: No, that makes total sense to me, right? We, we seek out familiarity because it's comforting. It's reaffirming. It makes us feel like we're smart, that we belong.
1: Yeah, all those wholesome things. But as we've already discussed, there is a really dark side to this. We've talked a lot about our desire, our need for connection, and I think this is just another illustration of how our desire for belonging is so strong and our trust in, in achieving it is so small that we go to great lengths to forge camaraderie that is based on things that really do not amount to a hill of beans.
0: I just want to point out that you you beat me to the dark side of of this topic, for once.
1: All right, I will give myself a tally mark. <laughs> One. Ah, ah,
0: ah. Right. So, to, not to get off on a tangent here, if you look at if you look at political parties and how froth at the mouth people get when someone says something negative about a candidate from their party, and it's important here to differentiate between party and ideology because. The parties have actually flip-flopped in the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. Republicans like Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. used to be progressives and their Democratic opponents were conservative. So Mm -hmm. making your affiliation with a party part of your identity doesn't make a lot of logical sense.
1: But what you're saying makes sense to me because this could be the reason why people are getting froth at the mouth, as you just said, because it's not just a topic on social media to them. It's, It's someone like treading on your identity.
0: Yeah, I have, I have to believe that they carry a weight comparable to that, yeah. Because otherwise people would probably just go, huh, and you keep scrolling. Versus engaging in these back alley brawls with people on social media that they barely know.
1: Oh, that yeah. they know at all. Right. Well, you'd still have some folks, I'm sure, who just like to be the, that, that straw that stirs other people's <laughs> drinks, if you will.
0: That's, that's, a, that's not the way I would have put that, and it's very kind <laughs> of you to say it that way.
1: Well, I'm trying to keep it. Super PG thirteen this season, so that's why I said drinks instead of stirring other stuff. Yes.
0: Oh, what fun is that! But, but I also want to make a point that it's actually super simple to get people to side with one side or the other. Are you familiar with the robber's cave experiment?
1: Well, Pete, since we went to the same undergrad college, <laughs> yes, yes, I am. you probably heard about this in the same classroom. We, yes,
0: we might have at the same time. At even. the same
1: time, <laughs> what are the chances? Ugh. All right. So. All right. So,
0: so for those listeners who aren't familiar. In the summer of 1954, the social psychologist Muzaffar Sharif and his colleagues recruited 22 fifth grade boys from Oklahoma City and sent them to two adjacent campsites in Robbers Cave State Park. The boys were carefully selected to be nearly identical. They were all white, all Protestant, and all middle class.
1: Right. You're talking like cookie cutter here. Nearly identical in social, educational, physical, and emotional fitness. Oh, and by the way, the other little tidbit is they had never met anyone else who had been recruited. So aside from being, like, carbon copies of each other, they don't know each other at this point.
0: Right. These kids did not know each other. They were carefully divided into two equal-sized teams, the Eagles and the Rattlers. Mm -hmm. They were designed to be similar to each other in every possible way.
1: The teams, right, yes. And they came up with those names, by the way, on their own when said, we're going to need team names. So somebody, you know, like to be beautiful butterflies (laughs) they were the eagles and the rattlers so without knowing it these kids participated in a three-week-long psychological experiment
0: right during the first week the teams were kept separate the boys on each team grew to know each other and to form from scratch a sense of group identity
1: right they're storming they're norming they're forming
0: right right in the second week the teams learned of each other's existence Having never laid eyes on the other team, the boys on each side immediately began referring to the others as outsiders, or intruders, or even those boys at the other end of camp. Not
1: those boys at the end of the I camp. know,
0: that's, a, that's got a whole wrong side Gosh, of the sure tracks kind of yes. <laughs> connotation to it.
1: So the experimenters arranged a tournament between the Eagles and the Rattlers. And when they came into contact for the first time, to play baseball, nonetheless, not a contact sport... A member of the Eagles immediately called one of the Rattlers, Dirty Shirt.
0: (laughs) That must have been such a cut down at the time. Oh boy, not
1: Dirty Shirt. So by the second day of the tournament, both teams were regularly name calling and using derogatory terms. So not even just Dirty Shirt, we now have pigs, bums, cheaters. Even boys who were compelled to sit out uh, during the competitions hurled insults from the bench. And they began to want nothing to do with even being around the members of the other team.
0: And then, it gets worse. Yes! The Eagles burned the Rattlers flag. The Rattlers raided the Eagles cabin in the middle of the night. The Eagles then raided the Rattlers cabin in the middle of the day.
1: Say it's not so.
0: Boys from both sides began to collect rocks to use in combat. Fist fights broke out. And the staff decided to stop the interactions altogether to avoid possible injury. They were sent back to their separate camps. By the end of the second week, twenty-two highly similar boys, who had met only two weeks before, had formed two nearly warring tribes.
1: And then it got
0: worse! Oh, yes it did.
1: So by the end of the third week, the conflict had affected the boys' abilities to judge objective reality. So they were given a task to collect as many beans off the ground as possible. I guess this is what happens in the state park. You just got a bunch of beans on the ground. (laughs) I digress, I don't know. So each boy's collection was viewed by both groups on an overhead projector for five seconds. And then the campers were asked to quickly estimate the number of beans collected by each child. And every single boy estimated more beans for their own teammates than for the children on the opposing team.
0: And the experimenters had shown them the same number of beans every time.
1: Every time, yes. So the Robber's Cave experiment was the first to look at the determinants and effects of group membership and intergroup conflict. It inspired years of increasingly precise and wide-ranging research, looking into exactly how our group membership shapes us, affects our relationship with others, and distorts our perceptions of objective reality.
0: The boys at Robber's Cave needed nothing but isolation and competition to almost instantaneously consider the other team to be quote unquote dirty bums right to hold negative stereotypes about them to avoid social contact with them and to overestimate their own group's abilities
1: so when you talk about how does this apply to social media and in-group out-group hmm. i don't think you need to look very far once you identify with a certain group it does not take much to escalate to real or invented conflict
0: Right, which would be a really good reason to try to ward off surrounding yourself with more of the same, which is the, the precursor to falling into or developing an echo chamber.
1: Yes. Thank you for bringing us back there. Here I was going off in this Eagles, <laughs> Rattlers sort of thing. I was about to go get my shirt. Yeah, I know. I was
0: about to... I had a feeling I was going to eat a frog. I'm not sure what was going on. <laughs>
1: there you go.
0: No, I'm glad to bring us back. But I'd also like to point out, since the robber's cave experiment is such a nice segue, is that social media does not always feed us correct information.
1: Oh, I'm grasping my pearls right now. Say it is not so, Pete. This is where I go for all my all my news every day. I know.
0: I know. It's shocking, right? Yes. In, a, in a 2017 paper, R. Kelly Garrett from The Ohio State University, that's THE Ohio State University, makes the case that while echo chambers are a concern, what's more jam- damaging and should get more attention and effort from everyone is the way social media platforms are used to speed the spread of disinformation campaigns. We touched on how influential disinformation campaigns can be briefly when we discussed our friend James Callender in episode 112, which was rumor has it. While Calendar was using pamphlets largely distributed by hand, social media allows for these ideas to spread worldwide at the push of a button, right, and, and the point of the research is that people can hold incorrect beliefs even in an environment where diverse points of view are present.
1: Well, we just touched on this. This is the nature of our brains, right?
0: Right, exactly. So it would be more effective to focus on preventing the intentionally misleading information from even getting presented.
1: But it's like a rumor right i mean it's just so fun to spread something completely ludicrous to see how far it would go insert sarcasm here
0: right as opposed to spreading factual information
1: right which is why we have to get on here every week and slog through an entire episode (laughs) to try to get people to think and be like are you sure all right well i'm just saying there must be some value added in why people do that because facts never seem to have the same effective range as nonsense does. And it frustrates me.
0: Yeah, I think, I think there's something to be said for the titillating nature of information that seems secret or is uh, exposing someone or something. Uh, that sense of having secret knowledge makes people act strangely.
1: Right. Or, or the knowledge that someone just encountered like a whole you know, solution to a pandemic because they read Encyclopedia Britannica from 1967 and the experts have been missing this one thing. And you know, all right.
0: No, I wouldn't, I don't think that's even possible. I I can't imagine somebody would do something like that.
1: I know you can't. I can't imagine it being true, no, but I can picture people doing it. But since you brought up misinformation, I would like to insert my two cents about algorithms (laughs) because I'm frothing at the mouth now, trying to get to algorithms. (laughs) Will you, will you do me this? this uh,
0: I, Absolutely, <laughs> right, I, I've, okay. I, I'm amazed that I could hold you off long enough, long, as long as I have.
1: It's been very hard, but I was wooed in about the Rattlers and the Eagles, because I do. <laughs> go Eagles. Yeah, go, yes. go Eagles, yeah. Yes, all right, so algorithms. So I think it is super important to note that knowing how our brains operate, how quickly they latch to something and don't let go, we have to realize that social media has the power to make us more entrenched in our attitudes before anyone even tries to convince us of a different point of view and these algorithms are really just adding fuel to the fire
0: yeah social media algorithms absolutely feed our confirmation bias
1: for those of you who saw the social dilemma if it's free for you you are the product and if you have not seen the social dilemma you should go watch it
0: yeah for sure for the biggest brands in social media and I'm talking Facebook YouTube uh, Twitter success is defined defined by the hours Users are engaged with the content on each platform. The longer we're engaged, the more ads we can be exposed to. And that's one of the ways these companies generate their revenue. These platforms take the things we linger on and it recommends more things like that. Then it takes the same information from our friends and recommends things to us that they're interested in. Even if we aren't because they're banking on our friends being interested in things that we would be if we were aware of them. So this action continues to refine what is being fed to us and our friends until we become a homogenous group being fed similar points of view on entertainment, politics, sports, just whatever the topic may be.
1: Exactly. And if you're getting the same news feed as I am, guess what we're going to talk about when we see each other? The things we saw in our news feed, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, did you see this thing on the Berlin Wall? No, what? Oh, wait, I did. Yeah. So yes, these algorithms really do foster a big old echo chamber. Mm -hmm. But just to be clear, what the algorithms are actually doing is they're they're ignoring the recency and frequency of what our friends are posting. And they are focusing on the likes, the retweets, the shares. So it's not necessarily what the friends are posting themselves, it's what they're responding to. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what keeps feeding content um, into our feeds that is very similar. Because uh, we, we're indicating this is what makes us feel comfortable, this is what we're in alignment with.
0: Right, that's where our interests lie. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that think you're way too savvy to be taken for a ride by Facebook, are you aware that in 2012, Facebook conducted a psychological experiment on 700,000 of its users? In this scenario, they tampered with the news feeds of almost three quarters of a million people, showing them an abnormally low number of either positive or negative posts.
1: Yeah, the experiment was designed to assess whether more positive or negative comments in a Facebook news feed would impact how the user updated their own page. And they used an algorithm to filter content, and researchers found that those shown more negative comments posted more negative comments themselves, and vice versa. If you were that, seeing like happy puppies, more positive postings of
0: your own. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm shocked by that.
1: Well, I will tell you why I'm shocked, because as a researcher, when I need to get IRB approval, <laughs> To even touch a rat <laughs> and you had 700,000 people being used as lab rats without mm-hmm. IRB approval simply because they were users of the Facebook. Um, I'm freaking out and I feel like we now have to get to the what can we do to fix this part of the programming
0: because
1: <laughs> I'm upset. I You
0: know I, you know I want to get there just as badly as you do but we need to make this this one last point. I came across a study that used the selective communication hypothesis to theorize that people are more willing to share information that aligns with their beliefs than to share information that contradicts them. And and that seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. Right? Why would we share information that we don't agree with? But the hypothesis was that people would share only the things that aligned with their beliefs regardless of its veracity. The researchers proposed that people share information for a variety of reasons to express their identity, to form a connection with like-minded others, or even to win people over to their way of thinking. Given those motivations, they proposed that people would be more likely to share information that they agreed with, even when they have contradictory information that they know to be true.
1: So what I hear you saying is that we really cannot blame social media. It's just that it's the way we're using social media that enables this to happen.
0: That's that's absolutely correct.
1: This is if I'm pointing one finger, three are pointing back at me. That's what this is?
0: That's right. And the thumb's going to the sky if I'm... front. row. Yeah, I'm not sure if that means anything. <laughs> no, but in this way, it, it isn't social media that builds an echo chamber. But the information that we choose to share that builds the echo chamber by either, A, winning people over to our point of view, and then they're sharing similar information, or B, driving away people that see things differently than we do, especially about highly polarizing topics, right? Social media makes this possible, but we're the ones that are constructing our and our friends' environments by sharing selective information.
1: Yes, by the, the likes, the hearts, right. the retweets, the right. resharing, Which exactly. Is, right,
0: which you just alluded to.
1: So aside from going back to dumb phones, which I'm telling you is something I'm legitimately considering, my only problem is I do enjoy a good map app. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know I've maps?
0: You know those maps lie to you, right? Oh, you, know you have that. a
1: podcast on this? I do. Oh, no, I that's do. terrible. I Sometimes I've been like, are they purposely putting me on every freaking toll road? <laughs> Is there some sort of partnership that I'm not familiar with? Yes. Anyways. Um, but yes, I, I, I don't know, honestly, that it's worth having all of this nonsense in the palm of my hand, if I'm being honest.
0: Well, I mean, we could use social media as a way of making and maintaining connections that complement our lives offline
1: I mean that does take the sting a little bit out of the idea that our attention is a product to be sold like at least I'm getting something positive out of it
0: where we can also burst the confirmation bias bubble by considering all available angles
1: hashtag burst the bubble I like that I like that okay
0: and we can do that by finding out everything there is about a topic that we feel passionately about
1: so I'm gonna tell you, I actually do that when I feel the most right about something. Like if I'm like, "Oh, here's what I know is a fact." Like when you want to make ice quickly, you need to pour in <laughs> boiling water. And I actually think to myself, "But what if I'm wrong?" And then I look to support that opposite, alternate position because I want to be right.
0: You know, what, you know it's. What's really cool about us as a as a team here? What's that? Is that I tend to do that when I'm ninety percent sure someone else is wrong.
1: Oh, when someone else is wrong, and I will
0: and I will dig into a topic uh, up to my neck to get all the information to prove someone else that they're that they're off rather than that I'm right.
1: Well, then, if you're saying why we make a good team, it's because I'm like... You're like, you know what I spent up all last night doing? And I'm like, never mind. I found something. You're right, Pete. Sorry. Correct. You're like, I I didn't get any sleep last night trying to prove you wrong. And I'm like, I already did it. You're right about the ice.
0: You give me precious little to dig into. (laughs) But the ice thing, I I am eager to get on after we're done recording. Well, see, and you're habit of of digging in and doing this research and and making sure that you're right before speaking. You're the audience we're trying to attract.
1: Well, that means I have earned my things significantly mug. That is what you're saying.
0: And then some. All right. And then some.
1: Maybe two or 12 in my basement. Perhaps. Perhaps.
0: Do you drink out of all of them? This is
1: none of your business. (laughs) I don't know you like that. Why? Did you get one with lipstick on it? (laughs) My apologies. I did not. Did it look used? All
0: right. <laughs> but yeah, being well-informed from all angles will keep your circle from being manipulated by misinformation or or clear bias, and in the process you will get better educated on the topic as well.
1: You know, I think that we also just have to be on alert, and I, I'm specifically talking about being wary of the false consensus effect. What happens with this is, is the prevalence of seeing similarly positioned opinions on social media like one would in an echo chamber where different points of views are excluded, it leads us to think that our point of view is more widely supported than it actually is. Mm -hmm. Like if you're seeing articles, and only articles about how the moon is made of cheese, and you believe the moon is made out of cheese, well you're gonna think that most people believe as you do. That's what this false consensus effect is.
0: Right, so it's important that in in your inner groups you have a devil's advocate, have someone be that dissenting voice to give you another set of eyeballs that don't have the same astigmatism everyone else in your group has. So it's, it's not unlike what Margaret Heffernan uh, said in her TED Talk uh, discussing Dare to Disagree, uh, a thinking partner who isn't in the echo chamber, how many of us dare to have such collaborators?
1: Right, if everyone is agreeing with you, that is not a good thing. Okay, so I have one. Uh, check your sources (laughs) all right it's very important it is legitimately the first thing that I do and I'm telling you my next best idea is for some sort of credentialing to occur before someone can post some advice work on social media you want to dole out some (laughs) medical advice I want to know what medical school you graduated from and where you did your residency okay because otherwise don't tell me about my low magnesium levels I don't want to hear it from you and what your grandma used to do involved (laughs) Vicks vapor rub and some socks I want to know legit information.
0: Oh, you're, there's a lot of people that I can think of that need to hear you say that.
1: Well, not that, I mean, Vicks Rub actually does work. Yeah, Vicks
0: Vicks <laughs> Vicks is aces. I've got nothing to say about that. I really
1: don't. I wouldn't, yeah.
0: I wouldn't use it on a bunion or anything, but. but we'll, we'll for, look it up. <laughs> I'll, I'll you look, look that up. up I'll right. look up the ice. All right. Everything will be covered. All right. So another thing we can do is go back and examine our past positions with current day information to try to determine if our positions were accurate with the outcomes. And I'm, And I'm thinking specifically here about the Affordable Care Act, Uh, as many people were against it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you remember, they even had discussions that there would be death panels and and things like that. But right now, it's a very popular program with, with most Americans. So those who were against it should be examining why they were against it in the first place. This could help keep them from being misled again.
1: Another thing. Feel free to like, share, retweet those things that don't naturally align with your way of thinking, but got you to think. This will help to enhance the data that the algorithm is working off of. You will be a better person for it. And if that isn't enough of an incentive for you, think of yourself as a disruptor. Down with the man, man.
0: <laughs> what a way to go out with a bang. Wanna send us out on that note?
1: Yes, because I'm just too energized by this and I gotta look up the ice. All right.
0: <laughs> no, you're looking at Vicks. I'm, I'm looking up, up Vicks.
1: But I think, I know Vix to be, to work. I I'm not gonna look I, that yeah, up, just yeah. kidding. So Pete and I would love to continue this discussion with you all on social media. What do you do to make sure that you're not in an echo, echo, echo chamber? How do you address friends that you think are in one themselves?
0: Tell us your thoughts on how you think echo chambers are formed. How big a role do you think social media platforms play? Reach out and share with us.
1: Ironically, share with us on social media. Hello, but hashtag a bit hypocritical. <laughs> We know. (laughs) Yeah,
0: let's be disruptors. All
1: right, let's be disruptors. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ThinkSigPod and on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Think Significantly.
0: If you enjoyed our conversation, please invite your curious friends to listen. Hell, invite friends that have a completely different point of view from you. Melissa and I will be back next week to just explore another way we can question everything.
1: Until then, we encourage everyone to think significantly about the world around you. (laughs)